everybody welcome to the 201st episode of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here beaverton oregon you know it's crazy for our 200th episode i talked about dfs it, it like <laughs> Stu, a friend of the show Stu, thought we were gonna like show like do the champagne and go like th- for for a victory lap and i'm like nah dog it's just the same old show shit, shit. like there was actual blazers news to talk about so we we out shit yeah we'd be an out you i mean we'll do the victory lap when the blazers do their their victory lap whenever they Damn, son <laughs> we'll pop our champagne on on air and we'll, we'll air that video for all of you to see i mean if we make the playoffs i've heard from a few basketball touts that we'd beat the lakers so i mean the way we've looked so far you would say they're not far off obviously the the blazers of the bubble lack the two-way talent that they had in trevor ariza who is rightfully staying at home and and spending time with his son and rodney hood who is still rehabbing really from his his Achilles that he tore back in early December which feels like eons ago and the Blazers really are missing those two pieces but Sage we will dive into that a little bit more but let's just give our our listeners uh, an overview of of what's happened not only in Portland but in that race for the eighth. Uh, Portland is 1-1 so far in the seeding games they had a heart pounding roller coaster inducing i mean just the the that game friday against the grizzlies felt you can like say the same, you can use game. the same intro for today's game though Doug. absolutely <laughs> i mean 140 to 135 both teams blowing double digit leads you had carmelo anthony hitting big shots dame sealing the deal cj doing what he does to the grizzlies and portland gets off on the right foot Sunday, they have a matinee, primetime, ABC, and it doesn't go as as expected. Uh, Portland gets down by as many as 24 points. They fought valiantly. They even took a four-point lead in the fourth quarter. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were just too much. The Blazers dug themselves just a little bit too deep of a hole. They end up falling 128 to 124, but Sage, it is not the end of the world. Portland has got some help along the way. Memphis has lost another game. They lost to the Spurs today, and I know it pains for you to think about it, but your Pelicans have taken two losses so far in the bubble as well, and they were thought to be the biggest threat given their schedule. Now, their schedule does lighten up, but the fact that they got those two losses already really helps the Trailblazers because I think as a fan now, I don't believe the Blazers have to go undefeated the rest of the way to get in. It's the games are so competitive. I mean, aside from three of the four games on the, the quadruple header on ESPN Saturday night, opening night, uh, Friday night, and even Sunday's games were all down to the wire. And the games have been really competitive. And it looks like playoff basketball. I don't know if I can speak for you, but every game so far has felt like a playoff game. And not just like game one where it'd be, oh, this would be great to win. But it feels like, okay, we're down 2-1. We need to 
really tie this series up or, okay, we just stole home court advantage. We're going back home for game three. We better take this 2-1 lead. Like, these games have felt like postseason type of games. And so far, I can't really complain. 1-1 one one is better than what I predicted. I know you're 2-0 on your prediction. So, you know, salute to you. You've already won the season series based upon the predictions, which we will get into. So, uh, you know, hats off to you. But Sage, this has been – it's a different experience, and I heard it really be described as like March Madness mixed with playoff basketball. you got games starting at 10 a.m. tomorrow, four on national television, all on Saturday. Like, I'm really enjoying it so far. You know, so I'm going to make the prediction right here, right now. Pelicans are going to win the next four games, lose the heartbreaker, and Blazers make the playoffs or get into the ninth seed. That's my prediction. So I was oh, say so you really jumped right into this. So let's let let's go because I was preparing for the show and looking at the records right now. Uh, San Antonio without Lamarcus Aldridge is actually in the ninth uh, ninth seed right now. They have a winning percentage of .446. Portland is .441. We are two and a half behind Memphis for that eighth and final seed. But Memphis's schedule does not does not lighten up and the fact that they couldn't beat Portland and they couldn't beat San Antonio leads me to believe they're not probably going to win a whole lot of games the rest of the way. I think they really accelerated their progress by a year. And then you got San Antonio who is playing better without LaMarcus Aldridge. I've heard some of their fans say they're not really running the offense through him. They're going a little bit smaller and they're, you know, I mean, DeMar DeRozan played the four, bro. Absolutely. You know, they got DeJounte Murray, Derek white. So they've got, some guard patty mills like they, they got some guards so they can do some things in the modern nba but and they got like the best coach yeah the best system i mean they've got a fantastic organization and then you've got memphis or excuse me new orleans who really dropped a game that they should have won against utah they should have won the jazz game showed no heart whatsoever or fight against the clippers uh over the weekend but their schedule is so stinking easy the rest of the way that you know, if I was to, to look at it, I would have Memphis probably going 33 and 40, San Antonio 30 and 41, New Orleans 33 and 49. And if Portland just goes four and two the rest of the way, that actually gets them to the eighth seed where they would be percentage points ahead of New Orleans. So it would be an eight, nine in Portland and New Orleans. So in this scenario, I have Memphis falling all the way out. And that's really with them just winning one more game. But again, their schedule is that difficult. And they look like a team, like I, like I said, they are probably a year or two ahead of where they should be. These are playoff-type games. These are where you need players like Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. You know, you need big-time players who have done it on the, on the stage. Like, John Morant is going to be an elite player. So is Jaron Jackson. I mean, they've got a really nice core. But, Sage, this is, this is new to them. And Absolutely, though. You could see – them falter down the stretch you know give them credit for coming back against the trailblazers but sage you know who'd be a really nice vet for them andre godal really i feel like iggy's kind of washed i I, here's where i think memphis fucked up they don't really have vets outside of jonas i think with a young team like that you have to have multiple vets in that system so to have a guy like Andre Iguodala that's been there, done that, would but he have didn't been... want to play for them. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, 
if he did want to play with them and was, you know, a good teammate, that he would he would be a factor in this this very odd, you know, season. Absolutely. But again, Memphis preseason didn't expect to be there. So no, 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 no. They no. weren't gonna make any moves at the deadline. I mean, I think they they did what they should have done. They held out for somebody who was gonna give them value for for Andre Iguodala. They don't really have a bad contract on that roster. The only thing they miss out on is probably a lottery pick, but or a high lottery pick, but in this year's draft, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. They're getting really good progression. I mean, they arguably drafted two of the top three rookies out of this draft class. I mean, Brandon Clark looks like he's going to be pushing for starters minutes. Um, I thought they played actually better when Jonas was off the bet off, off the floor. And it really reminds me, and this is going to sound super random, but game two of the 2014 playoffs, between the Blazers and the Rockets. So if we all remember, Portland came back from 13 down and they stole game one. You know, Damon LaMarcus really went off. Well, game two, Houston was like, okay, fuck it. We are going to go into Dwight against Robin Lopez and we're just going to punish you. And they did. Portland did not double, but Dwight Howard alone wasn't enough. Mm. Everyone else was super quiet. So that's kind of how I felt like it was when, when Valanciunas was in the game. Yeah, he was doing well against Nurkic and, and he had his moments – but everyone else was quiet. Dylan Brooks wasn't getting the looks he was getting. Uh, John Morant was, was deferring to, to Jonas. Yes, Jaron uh, started off on a hot streak. But it was just those two bigs. But it was just those two bigs. And then when he went out, they were able to utilize Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson. They really blitzed Dame. I think their offense and defense are just better with those two athlete bigs. They are. You know, Jonas, like Whiteside, is just tailor-made for an NBA five years prior. Mm-hmm. This league... You have to be nimble. You have to be able to move. If you cannot defend in the pick and roll, teams are going to pick you apart. And Jonas was a player that we really ate ate alive in that pick and roll. And that's why I think him getting into foul trouble was a real reason why they were able to turn up their defensive intensity, which forced a lot of turnovers, which led to transition buckets, which gave them that incredible third quarter turnaround, which thankfully wasn't enough to, to defeat our trailblazers. But that's when they looked dangerous, in my opinion. So my question is to you, we're talking about the other teams competing for 8-9. If you were the Pelicans, would you play Zion Williamson if there's a hard cap at 15? Would you even play him? Play him at all? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm of the mind where I've seen him put up amazing numbers in limited minutes. It ain't here. It ain't coming right now. It ain't happening right now where he's going all out in four minute bursts. It just isn't happening. So why would I want to put a distraction in that's going to be a ball stopper and an atrocious defender right now? Like he just ha- he it, it ain't happening. You know how Hassan Whiteside looks like he was in cement the first game and. The first rotation of the first game and the first rotation of the second game, he was kind of in cement. That's Zion all the time. And he's playing really aggressive defense, like just leaving shooters wide open to defend the paint. Like it, he isn't playing good ball in these two games. I'm in the mind of not even playing him until he's actually ready to play minutes because he's not even jogging some of the time. I mean, 15 minutes is a pretty low, low cap. And so, so, if you're so Brandon, 15, Brandon will defer, Drew will defer, 
Zo does stupid shit to defer to Zion. So it, it like we play with more freedom knowing that all five players playing don't need to be fed and will play defense. And I love Zion, but I recognize that this isn't the Zion that played at Duke. This isn't the Zion that was explosive in New Orleans. This is a Zion that's really out of shape. So if I'm New Orleans and I'm a New Orleans fan, I look at what happened to Greg Oden in Portland. And I'm not saying it's the same exact situation, but you have a clear number one overall pick talent. And he has produced on the court when he's been healthy. But Greg Oden could never he we're always like walking on eggshells with him. Like, is he is he gonna is he okay? Like, can he really go out there? And with Zion, it's a little bit different because you have really a defensive lineman with the athleticism of a wide receiver, to put it in football terms. He is a freak of nature. But even human bodies that are freak of natures are vulnerable to just general physics. When you jump up that high, you're having all of that muscle mass coming down on those ligaments and those joints. And that is not good for a long-term career. We aren't here to see Zion put on a show for one, two, three years. It's supposed to be a 10-plus year run. If I'm the Pelicans, I say you have to get to a weight goal. You really have to shed some weight. You may take a loss in production because you're not as strong just to bully the the fuck out of I mean, here. he's the strongest player in the NBA right now. Absolutely. Without he can a bully doubt. anybody. And he's yeah. able just to dominate around the rim, even at a – a short size and stature height wise, Mm -hmm. but one, I mean, we all, we all know this. Every great NBA player adds to their skill set as they get older, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. I mean, they, they went from athletic freaks to they're going to just surgically just cut you open on the offensive end of the floor. They're going to post you up. They're going to know what to do. They just added beautiful jump shots to, to their arsenal. Zion's going to have learned how to shoot, just like Giannis is starting to learn how mm-hmm. to shoot. You can only be a freak of nature for, for so long. And, and if I'm the Pelicans, you really have to sit him down and articulate this to him and make sure he understands it. Because, again, you don't want another Anthony Davis situation exactly. in New Orleans. And that's what the media is immediately mm-hmm. going to start the narrative on just like people do in Portland with, with Damon. Oh, he wants a trade and oh, he's going to go play with LeBron just, just out of thin air. I mean, there was a rumor in the, in the bubble in the summer, excuse me, from a, a UK based bleacher report or some just absolute bullshit report. And, and it got traction because people want to hear rumors, whether they're based upon anything or not. And so that's immediately what the media is going to do to Zion and the Pelicans. You have to get trust with Zion and in the coaching staff and the, and the management everyone needs to be on the same page. So if communication is not there, it's going to break down. And that's the first thing I would look at. Once you get that tightened up, then you start to look, okay, what weight do we want you at? Here's where we see you clearly define a role. And so here's where it can be tough because Zion is, he's been a superstar really since he was a sophomore in high school. I mean, mm-hmm. He's been billed as this next big thing. And he went to Duke and even exceeded those expectations. He's got a Gatorade deal. He's got a Jordan deal. cover are going through the roof. He has single-handedly elevated the sports card hobby again, back to when I was a child. I mean, it's just insane at everyone who wants a piece of Zion. And you'd have to be naive to believe that doesn't seep into his mind and he doesn't see any of that. He knows he has value to the outside world. And so he wants to be out there. And so that's where it's going to be hard to be like, you got to come down a bit, 
here's where we see you. You're not here yet. We love you. You are the franchise block. This is why it matters. And so that that's going to be tough. And that's where the, the, there could be a riff with the Pelicans during this eight game bubble where they may have an easy schedule, but if you just don't show up, teams are hungry. I mean, look at Orlando. Oh, hell yeah. I know Orlando suffered a big injury to Jonathan Isaac, but they're out here playing basketball. I mean, these 22 teams. You saw against the Clippers, they quit. They quit. And yeah. the Bla- that, that's, that's the thing. That's the huge dif- – that's the differentiating factor between this Blazer team and the Pelicans team. They both got routed in the first half. Absolutely. The way that the Blazers – adapted and changed is the difference between losing by four and losing by 44. Absolutely. I mean, you're a hundred percent correct. Neither team showed up in that first half. I don't know what happened to the Blazers. I think they need to approach every game in this bubble. Like it's a game seven, but they were noticeably slow out of the gates and it wasn't just offense. They were okay. Yeah, their rotations were were slow on defense. They weren't fighting through screens. I mean, in that third quarter and fourth quarter, you can just watch the Blazers, their body language. They, they noticeably picked it up. And, again, they played basically seven guys the entire game. So you can't go balls to the wall for 48 minutes. I, I understand that 100%. But the effort was noticeably different in that first half. And Boston was like, you're going to leave us open for three? okay, we're just going to go into a rhythm and a rhythm they really never got out of. And that's really what was Portland's undoing. This was a very winnable game had they not got out of the gates to a 37-24 deficit in the first quarter. You know, it's crazy that game one, we got to see the, the uh, Hassan-Nurk pairing because both they have nothing but traditional bigs. That, and there was times in that second rotation – where I was like, damn, we probably should just try it because Hassan's playing actual good defense, and but Nurk needs to be in. Like There was times where I, anti-jumbo lineup Sage was thinking, might be time to just throw it out for three minutes just to see if we can continue this magic. Because when we went on that huge defensive run against the Celtics, it was Hassan Whiteside on the, as the center. It wasn't, it wasn't Yusuf. Yusuf kept us in the game. Hassan led the charge defensively. We're, we're like, he made, I don't know who made this decision, but we let Daniel Thice and Ennis Cantor shoot middies to contest paint layups. And that's what sparked a humongous run in that third quarter. If Thice wants to shoot, let him shoot. I don't give a shit. Jason Tatum scares the shit out of me. Let him feel your body, Hassan, as, as you contest and contest smartly. The, it, Hassan has played shitty for two rotations. He's played pretty damn good for the other two. Yeah, I would say there was a noticeable uptick in, in his production, especially during that second rotation in the Boston game mm-hmm. uh, specifically. And I think it coincided with the entire team really energizing themselves. I mean, I saw Dame put the clamps on Tatum multiple mm-hmm. occasions. Yep. I mean, you're looking at a 6'3 dude going up against a 6'9 superstar who had it going on automatic, but Dame had the leverage on him and was really able to get up into his chest and make it difficult. And idiotic me last episode was like, yeah, we should probably try Zach Collins on Jason Tatum. 
okay, Tatum just put Zach into the spin cycle uh, in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And it, it w- wasn't pretty. Zach, Zach drew a foul. So um, shows how much I know with, with that rotation there. So it, it can I talk about an issue I've had for every quarter except the fourth, late third and fourth quarter of the Celtics game? Our offense, the first half of that Warriors game was going, it was going all right. Wait, what game? The uh, the Grizzlies game. The Grizzlies, Warriors. Yeah, I did. I goofed. But the Grizzlies game, they didn't change anything they wanted to do defensively except a little more effort and rebounding. We took and made really difficult shots in that first half. And then when we had a cold spell, we took the same shots that were difficult and missed. And then there was the same type of thing with Boston. They built that wall around the hoop. So Dame and CJ could go in. They were just going to get mauled as they drove in. In that fourth quarter, Hassan set good screens on the point guard. So Dame had room to pull, and he pulled, and it forced Daniel Theis to play up, which created all this spacing and lanes. That was the only time in this uh, expediated season where we actually had spacing, where there was driving lanes and passing lanes. If you watch the uh, mellow game-winning or uh, you know clinching threes, it was off Dame penetration, but it was a really small hole. If you watch the Celtics game, you see an enormous place to work for our guards to get into the paint and then create havoc for the defense. We haven't made the the, the opposing teams fear us enough to uh, guard out on us. They've been really sunk inside. So that fourth quarter, it was just open lanes all day. Couple points. First, to your point about the the shot selection against Memphis, um, I thought Portland did a really good job. They may have been tough shots, but they came off of good ball movement. We had seventeen assists. Yeah, we had seventeen assists in that first half against Memphis. Um, only ended up with 27 for the game, and that includes an overtime. So that can kind of show you the the differences in, in the Trailblazer offense. We really saw them bogged down. I think they went to mellow in the post like three straight times. Um, the ball was stopped. Nobody was moving. Mm-hmm. This Blazer team is really dynamic. So when they're able to to move and show movement and feed off of one another, that's when they make the defense feel you. Um, to your second point about the screens – even though I do agree Hassan was setting some good screens in that second half against Boston, especially on those pick and rolls. I mean, I felt like I was playing 2K, just calling for a screen. Exactly. Letting it, and Dame was just raising it and firing. Mm. Nurkic is an elite level screen setter. Oh, brick wall for sure. I mean, gold Hall of Fame on 2K, no doubt. I mean, and he's able to slip them and roll them so quick that – that damn Nurk pick and roll is so fucking beautiful to watch. Like, mm-hmm. and again, this is no disrespect to Whiteside. Yusuf Nurkic is just a better basketball player. He mm-hmm. has more. He has more fluidity in those hips too. You look at Hassan as a lateral athlete, and you don't. You're not. You're not impressed. Vertical, he's great, but the way that he had to set screens in, in these two games, he went into just bodies too. Because uh, Nurkic could use his hips and get skinny to go around the that that initial blockage on that pick and roll when they set help to like stutter. 
I mean, you, I mean, Yusuf's just a fantastic basketball player. Hassan's a really good one, but in these in these games where they're just saying we ain't letting you get any easy baskets, Hassan's kind of his usage is or his way of usage is a lot uh, less than what uh, Nurk can do. So speaking of Nurk, I think he's been a revelation of some sorts. We we all knew he was playing good basketball 16 months ago, but for him to come into the bubble, play well in the scrimmages, but his first two real seeding slash regular season games. Well, let's talk about the averages. I mean, we're, we're looking at a center putting up 24 points on 55% shooting, nine boards, five assists, three and a half blocks, in two steals. If Portland can get this Yusuf Nurkic for the remaining six games and whatever beyond, if they make the playoffs or if they don't, I think you take this bubble as a huge W going into mm-hmm. the offseason because you have a legit big three now. You know, what what was it we were talking about, Sage, when we were talking through through the regular season? Like we have faith in this team long term, but we just haven't seen them play together. And really we still haven't with with the long term small forward. But this is a fantastic sign for a player who is gonna turn 26 later this month. I mean, he is a true franchise building block as long as he can A, stay healthy, and B consistently bring these numbers on a nightly basis because I would argue the only thing keeping a Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic ahead of him is consistency. If Nurk does this on a consistent basis, the argument is there that he's the best center in the league. I think consistency and health are the only two things keeping this man from from being first team All-NBA at the center position. Well, I think minutes played would be the third. He, he 28 minutes a game versus whatever you uh Joker Th- that's is. true but in 28 minutes if he's able to put but up he's played 32 minutes th- these two games it's yeah, more but if than he could he... average what he's averaging now even in 30 minutes i mean i think that even helps his case more especially if the blazers are winning i just think you have to give the, the nod to a guy like Jokic and Embiid because they're they just do it more consistency more consistent excuse me i mean this was this was nurk's problem a little bit even last year it's like oh he made an all-star push he had a great 10 games and then he kind of just fa- fell off a bit and then he came back but i think right now you're just seeing like a different beast i don't know if the injury put anything into perspective or he just improved with his hard work but i mean worse i mean this this has been just truly enjoyable to watch him play ball I mean, bottom line yeah i, th- I think we missed the basketball IQ like that was that's a huge thing like we we will talk about that that pass where it didn't get anywhere close but like what he's done offensively and defensively has just made like put us in that position to potentially win the game against the Celtics I don't think I don't think we would have fought back earlier this year if we were in a 30 or 24 point deficit you know what i'm saying yusuf has brought some toughness with him and I, I think he's a motivating factor for these guys like look at the work that he put in to make his body ready for 32 minutes of professional basketball not a lot of people would be able to handle what he is doing right now and doing it at a really high level like yusuf is really 
really beneficial for our future. And the, these games where he just shows that he is so much better than the person going against him. It's, it's, it's going to help us in the future. Like, I can't wait for us to potentially play Denver with use of playing like this or the, the 76ers or the Minnesota Timberwolves. Like if he's playing this confident, he's going to fuck these, these major centers up. So you said something, a motivational factor, and I completely agree. And there was a point in the Memphis game where Memphis had uh, regained momentum. Uh, we took the lead early in the fourth and they, they started to build a, a nine to 10 point lead. Nurkic had the ball on the block and just turned again, did the patented over the, over the, the left shoulder, right hand bank shot, cuts the lead to four or five. Memphis calls timeout and Nurk kind of claps his hands together and like visibly like shows a lot of emotion and really challenges his teammates. Like this is not over. Like we need to win this game. Mm. And uh, Jordan and Lamar had a great point that we've seen Nurk kind of, talk shit to the opponents. We've seen him just really ignite the fans, but this was really one of the first moments he's ignited his own teammates mm-hmm. while on the floor. And I think you're seeing a more comfortable Nurkic in, in a, in a somewhat of a leadership role where the, t- the players look up to him like, okay, you are really, you know, two or three on this roster behind Dame and or possibly CJ. And for him to take that step, that just shows, I think a lot of confidence in his game and the comfortability that he has within this organization. And I think that is going to prove uh, major dividends down the road, because obviously the big knock on Nurk coming to Portland was immaturity. And I think he has squashed that uh, 10 times over. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, another shining star has to be Gary Trent Jr. I mean, if we're looking for breakout players in the bubble, NBA-wide, he's got to be first-team breakout. Mm-hmm. Like, he's playing amazingly good defense. He looks motivated defensively. I was about to say he's green in threes. But you know what? He's actually greening threes, and it's shocking when he the shots miss. That's how focused he is. Like, he needs to be our starting three. I'm sorry, Melo. I'm sorry, Rio. He needs to be the first person off the bench because he's pro- proven it two games. Rio's had one amazing half. Gary Trent's had four amazing halves. You look at Gary Trent, he's averaging 19 points off of the bench. He is shooting 11 of 16 combined from three. And a lot of these threes were clutch threes. I mean, he, he's hit some to beat buzzers to be uh, halves uh, the fourth quarter. I mean, felt like he had that one three where he just walked up onto Brad Wanamaker. just like, I'm going to step up closer to this, this three point line. I don't care if you're right in front of me, just rose up and elevated over the guy and splash. He had another three, which gave Portland their last lead of that game where Dame went up to the, to drive the defense collapsed, kicked it out to Gary. I mean, wide open. He hit that with confidence. And you mentioned the defensive prowess, uh, it reminded me in the Memphis game when Terry Stotts really unleashed Wesley Matthews on James Harden. Like, this is your matchup. Lock in on him. You pick him up as far as you can. Terry Stotts did the exact same thing against probably future rookie of the year, John Morant, and held his own, even had an amazing block. I mean, emphatic block of the future rookie of the year. And you look at this player who really should be a junior in college and again, we talk a lot of noise about Neil O'Shea, but it was another second round gym 
that Neil Olshay found. And you're absolutely right, Sage. I don't think there's any reason right now where where he should not be in the finishing five. He has earned that spot with his defense and shot making. He is the type of two-way wing that we have just been really salivating for uh, since the NBA moved moved to this type of play. I mean, yeah, like he, what he is is probably the most valuable commodity in, well, second most. I mean, outside I, of a superstar. Yeah, like I would say the most valued thing is a wing that can play make shoot threes and defend second is a wing that can defend and hit threes he's one of the most like that skill set is one of the most valuable commodities in the nba right now the fact that we have it and a guy that's a second rounder so it's a it's a benefit for our salary cap like he's just showing that well first he's showing that neil shake can draft really good college prospects and turn them into something but he's showing that, yo, just because you're a second-round pick doesn't mean you're shit. I know the v- people value second-round picks like dog shit, and I've said it on this podcast. But you got to look at every individual player. And Gary Trent, he's about it. He's about that work-hard grind life. And he's he's taking this opportunity to show out and show out huge, man, like – Put him on your best player. Put him on so he can lock up your lead initiator. He's going to hit some threes in your eye, too. Like, that, finding that in this in this uh, really odd time is huge. Like, it ain't a fluke anymore. It's kind of, like, expected that he's going to do this, this, and this and make a positive impact on the game. I mean, you talk about positive impact. He was a plus 20 against the Grizzlies. Uh, no one was really close to that. Zach Collins was the second highest at a plus 11. So in GT's 26 minutes, he was a part of the runs that were in Portland's favor. So um, all of the, all of the numbers back up what the eye test is seeing. And you know, I think the sky is, is the limit for him. I, I think playing with Damon CJ, if he wants to start, it's going to be at the small forward position. And you, know, you do wonder if you're giving up a little bit of size there, but you know, he does make up with it with the energy, the, the intelligence, the intensity, and he makes defenses honest. I mean, that's really what you need when you're playing with Damian Lillard. Everybody on that floor has to be a threat to the defense. Otherwise, you know, we've already seen it. Like They're, they're trapping Dame 45, 50 feet away from the basket. When we don't have shooters to, to surround Dame and CJ, it's kind of like when we had Kent Bazemore. And they just sagged off him. If we have a guy that defenses don't respect, shit gets so much harder offensively. You have to respect Gary Trent for what he's doing right now. And you can't leave him open because he's shown over and over and over again that he's going to hit the three. So we've talked about Nurk and Trent. I think those are the two big revelations, storylines of the first two games. It's crazy to think that Dame can go 29, 9, and 5 in game one and 30 and 16, including just that massive outburst against the Celtics. But it still feels like we've only got like B, B level Dame Lillard. Like it's crazy to think he even has a higher gear than this. Yes, it is. It is. 
I think that one of the th- reasons we're seeing B-level Damian Lillard, he's playing 40, 40 minutes a game every game. Like we played played a seven or eight man rotation with no lead initiator coming into the game. So he's averaging 44 and a half minutes. But- yeah, bro. Like uh, game one, he played the entire first, took a five minute break, played the entire rest of the second, played the entire third, took a four minute break. And that was it. CJ played 45. Yeah. I know people, because of certain articles that have come out about Anthony Simons, have a negative connotation and a negative taste in their mouth towards him. In this next six games, he's going to have to play a few minutes. We need to give both of these guards a break because I think a big reason we did, we saw an explosive third and then some of the damn shots that he usually would make, it was a little long or short. I think that he is going to get fatigued, and we can't afford that to happen. We need somebody to play some minutes to alleviate these two guards. And it can't be Rio. It can't be Gary Trent. It can't be any of these players that are already in the rotation. Someone from outside the rotation has to play point guard for five minutes just to give these guys a break. How is Dame going to play game eight after playing 45 minutes every game for seven days, you know, seven games straight in like a 15 day period? I think the only positive is there was a four month layoff. So he's really coming into this is really like game two of a new NBA season. That True, is, but that is the it, only positive. Like, you're right. We, we do need to give them some five minutes of a, of a lifeline because. Yeah you are going to wear out over the course of this, the seating. Mm-hmm. But like, they're playing well, but 42, 45 minutes a game for our two guards, they run a lot. Like when, when NBA, the NBA brings those, you know, who's run the most miles, it's normally Damon CJ in the top two. So they're running a lot, playing a lot, they're going to get tired, and some of those shots that they'd make in the third quarter are going to brick in the fourth because you've had to chase around a Jalen Brown. You've had to defend Jason Tatum for an extended amount of time. Like, I'm, I'm so happy to watch them play ball and to see the heart that they have, but, yo, they're going to get tired. <laughs> so one player who has been... I think the most perplexing to evaluate during these first two games is Zach Collins. Oh, I thought you were going to say Rio. <laughs> no, we, we know what Rio is. He had a great first half against Memphis and, and came back, came back down to life. I mean, I think he's this, this iterations to this team's version of Evan Turner. Um, but Zach Collins to me is a very interesting player because he does have really high plus minuses. I mean, he was plus 11 and then he was plus nine. So he was tying for Hassan for the, the, the best plus minus ratio uh, against the Celtics. And you look at his stats, they're not going to jump off the table at you. I mean, seven points, nine rebounds, shot three of nine against Memphis. And then six points, three of three shooting, uh, five rebounds. So why I find Zach Collins so perplexing is 
one moment he's grabbing a rebound over three Memphis Grizzlies and going up and in and putting it. The next minute he's getting the ball stripped or he's on a two-on-one fast break against the Celtics with the Blazers with all the momentum in the world and he thinks it too much and he takes an extra step and he travels. And again, these are not reasons we won or lost the game, but it's just another example of the maturation of, of Zach Collins. And he gives Portland a versatile defender. He sets wonderful screens, but in the modern NBA, when you are going up against a a Jason Tatum, that should have been Zach Collins' matchup, but he's not quick enough. Like, do you think he's really a, a modern NBA five? Can we, can we bank on Zach as the core you know, as that starting power forward, like, like Nurk's penciled in there, you got Damon CJ, like we're still trying to figure out these last two in your eyes, Sage one, what have you seen from Zach? And two, do you, do you believe that, that he is, you know, penciled himself into that, that, that future? I think that Zach, when he isn't thinking about when he's just balling, he is a very good player. I think a portion of it, is that he's trying to think the game too much instead of reacting. When he reacts, he is making those athletic plays and he is making it smart defensive plays and he can shoot. It's just that you see that little hesitation and you see that, oh shit, what if I miss? Or that type of thought process and he'll brick. I think that what he needs to really do is find a way to clear his mind so he can play the game that he's played for shit how old is he 21 18 years like 20 he's played this game a long time most of his life has been dedicated to basketball he has to just find a way to clear his mind to focus and play because when he's reacting he's good like i know that playing with hassan and nurk is going to be difficult for him because there's with nurk there's flexibility on what he does on a given set he can post it up he can space when he's with Hassan he has a defined role and a lot of times I don't see him in that defined role outside in the perimeter because Hassan's in the paint and he's in the paint there's no way anyone else is going to get in the paint and in that Memphis game there was a lot of times where we had six players in the paint and Gary Trent was the only person spacing so I, I think that what he has to do is just clear his mind realize who he's on the court with and communicate I saw a lot of possessions in that Celtics game where I'm not there and I can't hear what they're saying, but there was some clear miscommunications between he, Hassan and Rio clear your mind, be able to speak what you see are going to be keys for him. Do I think he can be the shooter and that uh, we need? I don't know, but defensively he gives us what we need. And I think, he just has to focus on that shot and be confident with what he's doing in his movements. NBA defenses are so intelligent in the modern era where even if you have one semi liability on offense, they're going to exploit you and make you go to that liability. And I thought he had a really big moment in that Memphis game where Memphis continuously was doubling Dame, blitzing him on the pick and roll. Dame dropped it over the top. Zach was in the corner or on the wing for a three and he hit it. And to me, that's one of the number one things we need out of our power forward. Whether you're playing with Nurk or you're playing with us on Whiteside, 
if you are setting screens for Dame or you're on the floor with him, you have to be a threat to hit an outside shot. Mm-hmm. CJ is, Gary Trent Jr. is, and the big stays the big. So you really need that power forward to knock down shots. And I think that is a reason why Alfred Camino thrived and also had his problems. When he was knocking down shots, it, it was game over because his, his defense, he was tailor-made for the modern NBA. But when he missed, you saw teams continuously, okay, we want him shooting 40, 40 times a night. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's hyperbole, but you get what I'm saying. They would they would live with him winning or losing the game rather than a guy like Damian Lillard. So if, if I'm Portland, again, this isn't a we should trade Zach podcast or, or Zach's the, the greatest of all time, but that's what I need to see from him. I mean, one, he needs to stop fouling. Yes, he doesn't get the benefit of a lot of calls, and some of them were weak, but regardless, he is a foul monster of the mm-hmm. highest variety. He needs to stay on the floor. But he also needs to figure out what where, where is he in the modern NBA? Is he a five? If so, cool. Okay, we've got our backup center. We need to go in the offseason and find a starting power forward that can play alongside Yusuf Nurkic. Can he play the four? Okay, great. Then now we need to find a backup. It becomes a little bit easier. You know, I don't think he has the highest trade value at the moment, given the injury. And so he's really Portland's to, to kind of mold and, and see what it's going to be. You know, we were – I think one of the biggest tragedies uh, of the season in, in a season of many tragedies was that Collins getting hurt because for the preseason all throughout the summer, we talked about that third year jump. That's what Siakam took. That's what a lot of these players took in that 2017 draft class. And Zach Collins, he's really starting his third season right now. And mm-hmm. I know we're putting a lot on him to produce. So he's a player that I've really kept a, a close eye on to see, okay, are you a piece for the future or are you a piece to trade to get somebody who is going to be that, that piece for the future? I'm extraordinarily confident in his ability to defend the post. Yep. I was also thinking that he'd be a decent perimeter defender. I don't think he's fast enough to deal with guards and good, bad, or ugly. I don't think he has the lateral quickness to keep up with people that can dribble a little bit and blow by him for an easy layup. So it, it kind of restricts his, you know, top end. This is top end Zach Collins because I don't know if he has that speed. And, you know, developing speed is going to be pretty difficult. But I, what I can say is that he can be, play the NBA 5. That's what I, I think he is an elite weak side defender. I um, think he can be a great pick and roll defender too. Like he could be a great five defender. I think he's, I think the more I watch him, the more I see five. And I think that's a luxury if he is your backup center. I mean, right now, as long as Nurkic stays healthy, knock on wood, he's the five. I mean, he, he is your guy. So does that make Hassan? It wouldn't be the biggest deal in the world if Hassan left. If what you think right now is that Zach is a five. Even if I thought Zach was a four, like, Hassan at this point, I think, is in an audition period, whether it's it's fair or not. This is the role that we brought him into play, a backup center. He got to play starting center because he was holding on the fort while Hassan was out. And he did it. Nurkic was out. Yes, you're correct. Excuse me. But this was the role that he was originally, you know, long term, this is where you're going to be. And I know that had to have been. That's an ego 
That's a kick in the nuts. That had to have been communicated, though. Okay, you're going to start, but this is our guy. Like, Nurkic is our guy. If you want to be here, this is what you're going to – this is what we can offer. So I I think it's an audition for both parties. Does Hassan want to be a backup in this league? Does Portland – how much do they want to spend? Um, Is is he healthy? Like, that's that's the hard thing is because I I don't know if he's healthy or not. Sometimes you see bursts from Hassan – I would say I think he is mentally locked into the game. You see him on the bench. Like, he was going crazy when Dame was hitting those three. So, I don't think he's necessarily sulking. I just think he's a, a, a different dude. Like he's I not, think he's, a, he's not a normal – and he doesn't act like a normal NBA dude. He's kind of weird. And you can't read too much into that. But at the same time, you have to look at, at the production. I mean, he, he got beat pretty bad. Uh, on the offense, on the defensive glass, excuse me, by by both Memphis and Boston uh, during his first rotations. And I, I, that that the first rotation's weird because both times he didn't look ready I to go. He didn't look ready to go athletically, and even in that first rotation against the Celtics, there were times where I'm like, "All right, that's good shit, Hassan. That's good shit." So it's not like he was he was thinking about you know, going to at that the magic city. It wasn't like he was thinking that he was, he was making good moves. It's just, sometimes he's not fast enough. Sometimes there was a miscommunication with him and Rio in the second rotation. He actually looked like, Oh, that's a Hassan Whiteside. That was the number one center. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like I, I, it's tough to pinpoint where he what's wrong because basketball has so many factors. Every single possession is not the same. And that's a, that's a reason why our defense isn't good or a lot of the times. And it's why our offense isn't good. Some of the time is because every play is different. And I feel like Hassan does the same thing on the pick and roll every single time. When we had that run, Hassan Whiteside did not do the same thing every time he adapted and I think that I think him coming off the bench was the ad- the second ro- rotation was the adaptation to like, okay, this is how Boston's playing me. I have to do this, and then I'm going to be effective. And it took him that full, full first rotation and then a little bit of the second to be like, okay, this is what I got to do. Because he, he definitely showed out both ro- second rotations. So I don't know, man. Like, I feel like those guys with the narrative of good defender bigs are having a really difficult time in this new NBA exactly. or in this new, this new continuation of the NBA. It's like, I'm a step slow and it's obvious I'm a step slow because I'm not used to playing ball. I mean, how, how have you worked on rotations in the last four months? <laughs> and I was, you know, watching the game with, with Olga and we were talking about it and she made a good point. He's just not used to coming off the bench. And there are players throughout history, even on the Blazers, that don't function well coming off the bench. Melo is a guy who I don't know if he'll ever come off the bench. He might have to if he wants to stay in Portland. But uh, I think I remember when we had Sharif Abdurrahim and Zach Randolph, and, and Raheem just had the toughest time coming off the bench. And I could be completely mixing up my, my players, but it was I think it was one of the two. And – Iverson was another, I think, mm, another player. Iverson hated it. Yeah, like, this is what they're they're used to. Like, some players can energize themselves like that. 
some want to start like and if it works out it works out but if it doesn't i don't think i think we could we could fill a, a backup center void like i think we need to find you know just someone with with decent production because if yusuf is is your hoss and you got zach there as well you're in pretty good shape hmm. you know it, it's tough and we've complimented and also said negatives about Hassan. I think he's the most polarizing good player on this team because they'll they'll shit on him for everything he does wrong. And then they don't really acknowledge the shit he does right. So I'm oh, glad the, that we take the, the new time Myers Leonard, hundred percent. Blazer fans love a good scapegoat. That they have to pin something on just one player. But it's like he's good in oh, if we put him in a position to be good, he's good. If we put him in a position where he isn't meant to succeed, he's not meant to succeed. <laughs> so that's why I'm overly complimentary about a guy that, in the right scenario, can be a game-changing big. He's, I like Hassan. Again, like Zach, he's very perplexing. The same things that I get upset with Zach, there are other things I get upset with Hassan. Like there are times I'm like, you're the league leading rebounder. Why are you just giving up position? Why did you not grab that board? Like I've seen engaged. We suck Hassan. at boxing out, bro. Yeah, I've seen engaged Hassan, and and that's not it. Like I know he's a better player, just like Zach Collins. Like you got to get stronger with that basketball. Like you're in your third year, you're starting for a, a pretty damn good team. Like get in that weight room, get your hands right. Like you can't be having John Morant come in there and Pat Bev the shit out of you. Like you got to get your weight up. I mean, that's just like, we need Zach just to kind of be like, it's weird with Zach because he does come to the aid of his teammates. He is vocal. He doesn't back down, but it's like when he gets the ball, there's just something in his mind. That he's just like, he's not just reacting. He's over. You know, it's like you have a Mac. It's like the apple, like the rainbow around his yep. head is like thinking of what you're doing. Like when you have a shitty computer, the apple, you know, the circle will go around your head for a second and then you'll do your, you'll make your decision. It's not that snap judgment. It's the apple side and loading. Favorite moment from these first two blazer games. Hmm. I mean, for the Grizzlies, it was definitely when when the clock struck zero and we officially won because Grizzlies fucked with our emotions until the last fucking second. We don't know how to break a press, and it's glaringly obvious that we got we got the scaries when when uh, they were sending that that full court on us. So when the clock hit zero in the Memphis game and I knew that we won and there was no way Memphis could come back, I think the the barrage of threes by Dame when we were really killing it in the third the third quarter was my favorite part of the Celtics. Yeah, definitely that Celtics game. I think for Memphis, the two that I have, three, three. So bear with me. I think when GT blocked John Morant, like that was like kind of the icing on, on he the cake. Matched those steps perfectly. And he was he ready. Elevated and just the raw emotion. Like he is so easy to root for. Mm-hmm. Um, 
fourth quarter, Nurk faked the handoff to Dame, spun around with the ball, and just yammed it all over JJJ. the Memphis defense. Should have been and one wasn't called. But I yeah, think I may have got the most hype. Fourth quarter, it looks like it's not going to happen. All of a sudden, we're kicking it out to Mello, and he's hitting back-to-back just Great. major trays. I mean, we haven't talked once about CJ McCollum on this podcast, and he, he was magnificent that game. And he had a major bucket in between those two, which kept us alive. But like, and he made that pass to Melo too. And yo, you know, like, you don't see CJ in them. Those the, the first one Melo took, I'm like, shit, shit, shit. oh, well, just I went nuts. And the second one, I'm like, yeah, he's open. And that last one, I, I really thought, like, I thought that was game breaker. Melo had bro- broken the game. We were going to go and, and win in regulation. Just missed, but just seeing Melo as a catch and shoot wing, which I think that where is where he should. He, yeah. Get. He, he's not the post up mellow. He's not the dark hole mellow. Like it reminded me of LaMarcus bro. Like yeah. the way he would ball stop and try and post up. That's not his game anymore. Like I get it a few times, but that was like a, that was like a, this is what we're doing on offense against the Grizzlies type of play for like, when we were really rusty, it was like, let's get the get it into Mello and let him post up Kyle Anderson. Catch but, and shoot Mello's great. But but speaking of CJ, like we got to touch on him really quick. I mean, averaging about 25, uh, damn near six assists and what four or five rebounds. That's what yo, that that's the shit though. Yeah, that this is playoff. We are getting playoff CJ. Like watching him rebound, pass the ball, not ball stop. Um, regardless Quick, of whether decisive his, move. Yeah, regardless of whether his threes are going in, he's not ball stopping. I mean, mm-hmm. he's moving. He's. I think he's playing some pretty solid defense. Um, just hitting vintage CJ shots. The, the the shots over Dylan Brooks were just, you know, chef's kiss. Uh, you go back and actually watch breakdowns of the plays, like that floater he hit against Memphis. He's going right foot, right hand. Like if you just go out into your driveway and practice that, it's natural to do the, the left and then the right. Mm-hmm. But to go off your right foot with your right hand, you know, basically you're doing that in air as you've accelerated into that, into that position. Uh, he makes the extraordinary look ordinary. Like don't sleep on CJ. He's one of the best bucket getters in this entire league. And it's great to see him kind of go back to where he was in that postseason run of 2019, because I think we would all admit he had a little bit of a, not a down year, but not a year we were expecting him to take in, in nineteen twenty. But through these first two games, um, and CJ looks just so smooth. I love the way he's working without the ball. Um, there's not anything he can't do on the offensive end of the floor. And that's the thing. When he contributes rebounds and assists and all those other stats. I mean, two steals he, a game he's is irreplaceable. Well. That's when he's irreplaceable to our offense. When he get just as a scorer, it's like, this is fine. But when you get the six assists, the four rebounds from a 6'3 shooting guard who's really just a bucket getter, it just shows the versatility. And, like, this type of CJ makes makes it so you think once, twice, three times about trading him in the regular season because once this time gets here and he can put all of his effort in this game, it's it, it it's it, you see vintage CJ performances. I've already seen a couple of Blazer fans float out the idea of oh you know we can move CJ in the offseason because we've got Gary Trent now. 
two be, completely be, be, different players. Put yeah, pump the brakes. One, they're completely different players. But two, there is a major reason why Gary Trent Jr. is left open on some shots. Damn, it's because the threat of CJ McCollum is on the opposite side of the fucking court. You replace CJ, you better have somebody else out there that's going to be a threat. That's why guys like Gary Trent and Zach Collins are open. It's nothing. I am not taking anything gravity. He hit some big fucking baskets. And he's going to start to be a reason why other players get open because defenses are going to respect him. Maybe Dane just gets single covered now. But there is a reason that CJ is there. He's a fantastic player and he draws just an amount of gravity towards the defense, just like Dame does. They respect him because he is such a dynamic player and one of the best shooters we have in this game. The fact that CJ has court gravity and Dame has court gravity positively affects Gary Trent Jr. When there is, when there isn't that court gravity, your Gary Trent's defender is going to be that much closer to him. So it's a symbiotic relationship between those two guards and the people that they allow to have the opposing team allows to be open. So yes, Gary Trent's doing fantastic. Do I think he would be doing as fantastic without CJ on the court with him? No. Sage, you went two and zero, my friend in predictions last week and me one and one. And that, that even that one I took really wasn't that great because I did say that if we beat the Grizzlies, we would beat the Celtics. And even though I predicted a loss, hmm, we lost against the Celtics when I thought we would win if we beat the Grizzlies, which we did. So that's a roundabout way of saying I went one and one, you went two and oh, and on the year I'm 38 and 29. You are 44 and 23. Easy math. You are up six games. Hmm, there are six games left. So there is no way that I'm going to I, no, there's no way that oh, okay. I, I, I can catch you because we're, we're definitely going to agree on one of the games. So that unless I went opposite of you every time, which I'm not going to do, I'm really going to pick from my my head and my heart. You this know, the, the stupid game isn't worth you <laughs> sandbagging yourself. That's right. No, I, I do this because I care. And so first game, we're going to go every two games at a time. There's just so much that can happen. There's so many games being played, a lot of scouting that, that takes place. Portland has a TNT game Tuesday night, 6 o'clock against the Houston Rockets. And then Thursday at 5 o'clock, they face uh, Northwest Divisional rival, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, the schedule does not let up at all for our Portland Trailblazers. Let's, say, let's get right into this Houston game. Uh, a, a Rocket team that is 2-0 so far in, in the seeding games. Uh, an impressive Comeback, equally impressive by the Rockets, equally impressive choke job by the Mavericks on national television where Harden had, I think, 50, 54, 54 points. And then they had another comeback tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks led by eight with uh, three minutes to go. And Houston was able to take them out. So 2-0, two impressive wins. They're still playing micro basketball. Uh, this is a team that shot 61 61 threes against the Milwaukee Bucks and Sage we all know Portland's difficulties defending that perimeter we actually go big they go small what's going to win out what should we look for in this game I think I I mean we've played a certain defense around James Harden for as long as I can remember and it's anybody else but him beating us we conceded a triple double game to Russ We've conceded a lot of points 
to Russell Westbrook this this with this strategy of stopping doing everything we possibly can to stop James Harden. I honestly do not expect us to change that strategy and look for us to do everything we can to stop James Harden. And if that leads to Russell Westbrook having a really tremendous game, it is what it is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a narrative because it happens so often that we just throw the kitchen sink at stopping James Harden. So this is, I think the most interesting matchup of the seeding games for the Blazers, just because Houston goes incredibly small. And in today's NBA, Portland is actually kind of big. Uh, the Blazers so far are two and one. I, I guess it's still the 1920 season, but we're two and one. We won the previous two matchups, one in January in Houston. And the most recent matchup uh, was back in March. Uh, Portland handled the Rockets 125 to 112. This was during Dame's super nuclear run. Uh, he had his first career triple double, going for 36, 11 assists. 10 rebounds. Uh, we got 21 from Trevor Reza, who was missed. Uh, Mello chipped in 13 boards. Hassan had 15 and 10. Uh, we got about 25 points off of our bench. And the Rockets, this time we let Russ go off. He took mm-hmm. damn near 30 shots, had 39 points. But Harden was just 5 of 18. And this was a game where they had Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon will probably not be back for this contest, which does help the Blazers because, you know, despite your disdain for him, Sage, he's still one of the best. Uh, he's a really down. good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. So like, was to, overpaid and has a shitty attitude. To me, this this game is going to come down to one thing and one thing at all. Which style of play is going to win out? Mm-hmm. Clash so, of styles, for sure. Can, can Portland effectively... In, you know, assert their dominance down low with use of Nurkic. I mean, PJ Tucker really has no business defending Nurk. You know, what Nurk are we going to get? Will he take his patience? You know, we saw him late in that fourth quarter. He had a couple of shots that he kind of just missed a little bit against the Celtics. He didn't lay it up all the way. It was kind of a lazy release. If you're going to use Nurkic as the focal point of the offense, he really has to make them pay every time. And so are we putting them in pick and rolls? Um, are we just tr- doing traditional, you know, post up to Nurk? Are they going to send the double? Um, it, it's going to be a challenge for, for the Blazers to decide how they want to attack this defense. Houston is going to let you score. You have to be efficient in what you want to do. Or are the Blazers going to continue to show their woes guarding the perimeter and Houston set a, a, a new NBA record for three-pointers made? I think both outcomes are, are equally mm-hmm. probable. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just... It's one of those where you could simulate a million times, but until you actually see the product on the floor, um, you really aren't sure what's going to happen. Yeah, it, it's tough, man. It, it it we can we can project as much as we want, but is PJ Tucker hitting quarter threes? Is Rob Covington hitting threes? Like that that if we have to adjust to them by putting Zach Collins at the five or putting Mello at the five. We're going to lose the game. We have to play our style of ball and really dominate every every possession by taking our time, not throwing stupid turnovers, and forcing them to work. I think that James Harden's going to have a pretty bad day to James Harden's specs, and I think Russell Westbrook will have a ceiling game. Everything else is based on 
who, impact of styles. Is Nurk going to dominate? Is Sasan going to dominate Zach? Or is the three-point shooting barrage going to... And I think if, if you're Portland, you make them feel your presence. Build that wall if, against Russ. Yeah, if you're Nurk or any of the Blazer bigs, pound the glass. Like, the more effort Houston has to exert defensively, the less they, they'll have in their legs when they're shooting those jump shots. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's Russell Westbrook encourage him to shoot outside if he, if he hits you tip your hat but that's you know a defensive strategy you can live with you also have to pick probably their worst shooter on the floor and say that's where i'm bringing my double team from you know if it's daniel house okay you know i know you're a respectable nba shooter but you know i'd much rather have you shoot than, than james harden or pj tucker or you know eric gordon if he was playing uh, so portland needs to basically pick their poison in this matchup. And I think if they can slow the game down a bit, I don't think you want to get... You can't play their base. Yeah, you don't want to get to an up and down, run and gun. You know, I think you can almost grit and grind your way to victory because what Houston was showing before the NBA shut down, they were showing a lot of fatigue. Um, they were losing games because they were playing so small and they were getting worn out. You know, Again, this is basically the restart of a season. So they've got fresh legs. I don't think it's... I don't think their style of play is enough to win a championship, but the third game of a four month layoff. Yeah. They're going to have fresh legs and Portland better be ready to, to just do whatever they can to defend that perimeter because that's all Houston wants to do and keep, keep them off the free throw line. That, that is another thing. I think Portland has been outshot at the free throw line, like 30 plus times over these last two games. I know Boston had 18 more attempts, if we have that free throw discrepancy again, there's no way. Like Portland really they needs to start that. having that in their favor. I, I think with them running a five out, it just it's so beneficial for us because there's so much space for him to just attack the basket. I would try as hard as you can to stop it, but if a rust dunk is what they get it's much better than an open three from James Harden. Just pick that poison. And again, man, like everything could change. Everything could change if they're not hitting threes. We win so this I, I have I have dual X factors. The first it is Damian Lillard. We saw what this man can do in that third, third and fourth quarter against the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm his ability to turn a game around in just mere possessions. Not only does it scare the shit out of the opposing defense, you saw our bench, you saw the players on the court. Knowing you have a top five player around you elevates you, makes you feel safe, makes you feel comfortable. Like you're just eating, you know, a freshly baked cookie. You just feel so good. Like I've got Dame with me. Like there's nothing that can stop us. Dame has the ultimate gravity on the Portland Trailblazers if he has anywhere close to a ceiling game, that's what can push Portland over the top on the defensive end of the floor. I think we're going to see a lot of Gary Trent jr. I think he's going to be assigned James Harden, whether Mm -hmm. he's ready for it or not, it's going to be his, he's our best option at that position. And I just want him to make Harden wait. And also I'm just excited to see where he's at defensively. I think he's a very good defender, but how do you react to going against maybe the craftiest offensive player we have ever witnessed? Mm -hmm. Do you think he's a better team defender or on ball defender? Gary Trent Jr. Mm. 
I mean, he had the strip on Gordon Hayward as as a weak side defender. He had the block on John Morant. I mean, he, he put the clamps on Morant a couple times and made him take a few difficult shots. I mean, I, I think his overall IQ is is overall IQ and just that that intensity, that chip, those to me outweigh everything. I think he's, you know, it's a cop-out answer, but I think he's equally good as a help and as an on-ball, but it's it's the IQ and the intensity that really push him over the top as a defender at this point. Yeah, and as a team defender. Like Kyle Korver, trash on-ball defender. Really smart as a team defender. Like J.J. Redick, same thing. If you have the intelligence to be a good team defender, you don't have to be taken off the floor. I mean, we saw team defense today when when Rio and Hassan were in there and they weren't communicating. Communication. They, it was like a slap on the ass. It wasn't actual words. Uh, Rio just tapped him on the ass saying, switch. Not saying the word switch, but it was just like a, you know, touch on the tuchus instead of saying switch. And I don't know if we got burned by it, but it was certainly a glaring weakness. No, yeah, they got easy buckets out of that. Uh, Sage, what is your X Factor? Rockets three-point shooting. What's your prediction, my good sir? It's tough. Um, so we'll have equal rest. Yep. I think the Blazers win, and here's why. James Harden's numbers are going to be pretty, pretty low just because he's smart enough to pass it to the open man. And I think that we'll be able to adjust well enough to make just the right amount of stops. And I mean, they're going to have to defend us just like we defend them. So I I don't think PJ Tucker is ready for use of, I I think we will slow the pace down tremendously and try and find good, clean shots. So uh, protecting the ball and closing out are going to be my X factors. So this is where the shutdown hurts the Blazers. Nurkic was scheduled to make his return. I believe it was March 15th. It was a Sunday matinee. It was against the Houston Rockets. As I mentioned, the Rockets were in a a little bit of a slump. Tired legs. You know, you got guys six, seven, and under trying to play all five positions, and they were just basically getting pounded. Right now they've had a lot of rest. They had a lot of layoff. They've won two really good games. They're fighting for that three seed, they don't want to stay in that four or five. You don't want to play the Lakers at in the second round if you get there. Um, they're looking to get their groove. This this really could be the last year for the Rockets, given you know their D'Antoni. ownership. Yeah. Yep. And and their management and D'Antoni, as you mentioned, their general so, manager loves finding the shiniest, brightest of toys in the off season. So, so for me, had this game been played as it was regularly scheduled, we get it at home. Knowing what Nurkic did in, in his debut, I think Portland wins. You know, we, I was at that game in March where we, we handled them. Dame got the, excuse me, it was January. Dame got the triple-double. Um, the Rockets also had a lot of big wins when they first started playing this lineup in the regular season. Unfortunately, I just I am not sold on our perimeter defense. It, it scares me. Oh yeah, it's a glaring weakness, bro. I think it's going to be an insanely high scoring game. Um, I've got Houston winning this one. Um, I would love to be wrong, close. but close. But we 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 really need to shore up that perimeter defense. I mean, we just even look at that Boston game, and I think it, it comes with the territory of guys not knowing one another just yet. 
you look at the Boston game, there was one where I think Zach was in there with Hassan. Hassan went for a block, and Zach probably could have handled it, and I think Ennis Cantor ended up getting a, a layup. Uh, Carmelo committed in the fourth quarter on a dribble, uh, dribble drive, and he left Jalen Brown, the hottest player on, on the planet, wide open um, for a three. So it, it's just going to be how intelligent are the Blazers going to play on defense? How smart are they going to play the team defense? Are you going to trust your man to make the play by themselves and not leave the shooters? You know, there are definitely going to be times where it's going to be a, a scheduled double team. You know, you're doing it with a purpose or an intent, but there's also a lot of times you're like, Oh, I'm trying to help stop the ball. Sometimes you just got to give up that layup attempt or, or what you cannot leave their shooters. And I'm not sold on the Blazers being able to do that game three. So I unfortunately have Houston winning and we then go to the Denver Nuggets Sage. One last thing about Houston. It's about tendencies. If you know their tendencies on the court, you know what they want to do. So remembering what Houston tendencies are is going to lead to better defense. If, if the, if what you do results into an open three attempt, they're going to take it. So remembering the tendencies of each player is going to be key. If we can remember their tendencies. So Portland will then go up against the division rival Denver Nuggets, a team that has been without Gary Harris, uh, Jamal Murray, and and Will Barton. Uh, Barton is questionable for tomorrow's game against OKC. Gary Harris is questionable for tomorrow's game, as is Jamal Murray. Um, I don't know if they're going to play on Thursday or if they are not. Uh, but it is a Denver team that got absolutely destroyed against the Miami Heat in their first in their first game back. It's a team that experimented with a jumbo lineup with with Jokic at the point guard, seven two Bull Bull at the small forward. Um, they're a team that Portland has yet to beat this year, but they definitely know each other very well. Uh, it'll also be the first time in a while we get to see Nurkic and Jokic go mm-hmm. at it. So. The starting lineup for the game against Miami was Monte Morris, Michael Porter Jr., Torrey Craig, Paul Millsap, Jokic. And each of them played 24-plus minutes together. Uh, Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee both got uh, both saw legitimate minutes as well. So they didn't go with the Bowl Bowl experiment for more than 11 minutes. I think the main thing we have to talk about is how is Yusuf Nurkic going to react to this particular game? It's it's going to be... The emotions will be running. The emotions will be, but I was just going back to that playoff series where Jokic had his way with, you know, Myers Leonard and Ennis Cantor with one shoulder. Um, this is not going to be just that type of walk in the park. You know, Nurkic is able to get out there and defend the three. He's That's strong enough well. to do bang with Jokic in the post. Um, this could be Murray's first game back. So there could be a little bit of rust with, with that pick and roll. And, you know, frankly, I like my chances with Damon Nurk guarding that pick and roll than, than Damon Hassan or, or Damon Cantor, as it was in the playoffs last year. Uh, this is a contest where, you know, I really look for the Blazer guards to attack. You know, Denver to me is not a great defensive team. They may have some good individual defenders, but I don't see even their best individual defender, maybe a guy like Torrey Craig, can't stick with CJ. You know, we saw that last year. CJ still got the same shakes, still got the same precision and accuracy uh, on his mid-range jumper, the mid-range king. 
Um, and now you throw in a guy like Gary Trent who can spread the floor. Um, you throw it. We have Zach Collins. I mean, they don't have that. They don't have that significant size advantage when we were starting Alfred Camino and they had Paul Millsap. Um, so it's, it's such a different matchup than we've seen in a long time. Um, but it's, it's one I'm looking forward to. And, and frankly, I think the Blazers have to split the, these two games at the bare minimum. Yeah. I mean, Zach's a year older and Paul Millsap's a year older and that like Millsap's had a pretty shaky year. I think Millsap will see major minutes this game since we only have traditional bigs. So we're going to see more Millsap than Jeremy Grant. So how are we going to handle the, I feel pretty confident with our defense against Jokic, if we can keep our emotions in check. I I mean, Hassan played well against Jokic this year. Nurk is going to be very inspired to play good defense if he could do it without fouling. It's crazy to say that we're more healthy than an opposing team. And even if they come back, it's four months of rust. They've played together for years, but they haven't taken this long of a break without seeing and talking to one another. I think that Dame is just going to attack, attack, attack. And if we can just provide him with enough spacing for him to comfortably get to the rim, I think we're going to win this game. Yeah, that's my X factor as well is obviously perimeter defense. I mean, that that's never not going to be an X factor. If we all remember opening night, uh, Denver shot 18 of 32. I mean, not a team that I would say is littered with with shooters outside of maybe a, a Jamal Murray. I mean, they should, but they shot 18 of 32 from, from downtown, 56%. I mean, that was the factor in Denver's eight-point victory. Um, on the offensive end of the floor, I look to put Jokic in pick-and-roll situations over and over again until he can't walk anymore. Um, you want to make him start to, to backpedal and, you know, really get uncomfortable and – that's the area I think you can attack Denver is that on, on the defensive end of the floor. Um, Dame, I think needs to have, a, have another big game. Like if he, if he is our top five, top 10 player, it's going to come from him. But like Memphis, I have another feeling that it could be CJ. CJ had a lot of big games against this Denver team. Um, CJ is going to have to have a big game regardless. This is, this is postseason CJ. Absolutely. Postseason CJ. I, I think we do. I think we, we do get this win and, and we split. I think we go two and two um, for, for the bubble game so far. And, and we, you know, continue to stay afloat and, and fight for, for that, you know, eighth, ninth play in game. So I like the Blazers um, to get this victory. And, you know, they, as long as they can get this split, I think they'll be okay. So for the next few days, what do Blazer fans need to root for to happen for it to be the best case scenario for the Portland Trailblazers? Is it a New Orleans victory and and the the Sixers victory against the Spurs to, uh, tomorrow? That those are the two, right? I mean, anytime you're you're looking at so right now Memphis is an eighth. They have a, a four seventy eight winning percentage. They're two up uh, of San Antonio in ninth. I think. I think Phoenix is too far back. You know, they already have 39 losses. Um, they're four back in, in the loss column, and they've got some tough games coming up. Sacramento has looked like absolute dog shit, and I don't think they are a threat. I, I, I really believe 
the four teams that are going to battle for eighth and ninth. You've got Memphis, San Antonio, Portland, and New Orleans. Obviously, anytime San Antonio is playing someone, you know, hope they lose. No, for the next five games, I think it's it's very difficult for for the Spurs. And again, they are doing this without LaMarcus Aldridge. So, you know, it can probably get you going for a couple of games, but, you know, that was playing Sacramento and Memphis, two sub-500 teams. The schedule significantly gets difficult when they're playing Philadelphia, Denver, Utah, New Orleans, Houston, and Utah Utah again. I mean, those are six really tough games, and without a real go-to player, my my money's on them probably not. And they only have one big. Yeah, doing so high in those contests. Now, the game that everyone's talking about is tomorrow – Memphis and New Orleans, and I've seen a lot of people say, oh, we need Memphis to lose. I'm 100% on getting as many losses on the Pelicans as possible, just given the fact that they still are an ultra-talented team. They have the tiebreaker over the Trailblazers. And after this, this Memphis game, it goes Sacramento, Washington, San Antonio, Sacramento, Orlando. I think probably only the Spurs would be favored to beat them. And Orlando lost John Isaac for the year. That Sacramento was sad. Sacramento could look to be mailing it in really quick and Washington's probably the worst team in the bubble. Um, the NBA, I mean, the, the Pelicans just had an easy stretch to end the season. And even if they lose to Memphis, they're going to go five and three. I mean, that's just, that's the bottom of the line. And that's probably what Portland's have to going to do is go five and three. Um, so that's why I am all on new Orleans racking as many losses as possible. So I don't think it hurts one bit if Memphis wins um, specifically because Memphis probably has the most difficult schedule of any team remaining. I mean, we're looking at new Orleans, Utah, OKC, Toronto, Boston, and Milwaukee. I mean, that is just murderers row. And yes, we don't know if Giannis is going to be playing on, on August 13th or, or not, but right now it doesn't look like a, a, a very favorable stretch. If you ask me. And, Let's be real. The Bucks probably could win without Giannis. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they could win a game without Giannis and Chris Middleton and just play normal basketball and somehow beat a very good team. Like there's that, that they're that good. They run the scheme that well. Yeah. Right now it's all about us securing wins. I don't really care what everybody else is doing. We just have to handle the team in front of us. That's just my philosophy. We can't be worried about their other teams' wins when if we can't secure these two dubs against two legitimate contenders. But uh, yeah, man. Shit. You got anything else you want to say? It's cool. It's crazy to be back recording twice in one week when it took us weeks to record podcasts during, you know, the quarantine. Uh, I would just say I really like that the broadcast has made an effort to further open the discussions about social justice, whether they're talking about who Breonna Taylor was what happened, uh, why the, the cops who murdered her haven't been arrested, um, why they're talking about, you know, why did Kyle Lowry choose education reform on the back of his jersey? You know, he and his wife are determining whether they want to send their children to a private school where there's going to be less diversity or public school where there's going to be more diversity. And, you know, there's you know pros and cons to both. And 
it your zip code shouldn't determine the type of education you get but unfortunately that's where we're at in in in, in America. And so just hearing that story of, you know, why does somebody have, what, what does education reform mean? It's just encouraging education, encouraging learning, you know, go out there and do the research yourself and you hear this and you, you just, you broaden your horizon. And then you've got Jalen Brown who, you know, after basically playing one of the best games he's ever played, goes to talk about, you know, the actual national anthem and the third verse that Francis Scott Key wrote it's actually extremely problematic and, and nobody knows about it. And, and here's why it's problematic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got the WNBA players playing for Sandra Bland today and just continuing to bring her name back into the light, because obviously you should never forget about that. But too many of our, our black and brown people are being lost to this unnecessary violence. And I, I think the NBA and WNBA are doing a fantastic job of, not just slapping Black Lives Matter on the court and calling it a day. You know, they're actually talking about why they're kneeling, what they're playing for, the actions that they're taking uh, in their community. LeBron setting up, you know, ways to help stop voter suppression. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys are fucking badasses. I mean, I, I'm proud to be a fan of, of the NBA as as a league and, and these players because they're they're walking the walk and talking the talk. It, it it's 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 crazy to think about all the companies and all the businesses that claim they care about a b c and d but they don't show support for a b c and d the nba has shown support and backed what these players want to use this platform for and trying to create a cultural event the NBA is kind of like something that I'm striving to do is show support to the people that support us. And the NBA is doing a fantastic job of this is what these players stand for. And this is why it's important to us. And this is why we're going to use our platform to support this. But uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google play stitcher, Himalaya podcast, Dash Radio, nothing but net radios, Tuesdays, 223 Eastern, 425 Pacific. And if you listen this far, you're a real one. Like and five star the podcast from whatever feeder you uh, listen to these podcasts on. They help with the analytics, and we would like for more people to hear this, this, this positive talk about the Portland Trailblazers. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody, let's go! Let's go.